but we couldn't help it. Last week came in a blizzard, and uh, we 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 uh, we missed Valentine's Day. So we love all of you. And I went online just to, a devotion to talk to you about the love of God. If you'll come back tonight at six o'clock, we will finish what we started last Sunday morning. The school of love, the school of love, never get a diploma and you never graduate, right? How many say the Lord's still working on you? Amen. He's still working on all of us. But today I wanted to start a new series. I call it the way maker. I mean, I believe our God is a way maker. He's a way maker. He will make a way no matter what's going on. Even when you don't know what's going on, even when you can't see it, figure it out. He's still making a way. And we got to have a perspective. We have to have an eternal perspective about what is God doing, not only in our own life, but in our church, in our community, in our nation, in our world. God is still at work, even in America, especially in America. There's a culture out there that has no clue about who God is or what he has done. But I found it not to be new. I found that all throughout the Word of God. And so today we're going to start this series. It's a really a series about the life of Gideon, okay? And uh, and so God's making a way throughout the judges. But lesson one today, I just called it, hold on, okay? Because, because it seems like the enemy is tearing up the Israelites because they are. Uh, in chapter six of Judges, we will get to that. But uh, but we're talking about Gideon and uh, what happened in that great story of the Midianites. And uh, so so I have uh, the the text is going to be Judges two today. I'm going to read it. You can see it on the screen. But I have a text that goes through the whole series from Judges eight verse four. It's at the end whenever he's chasing the Midianites. How many's ready to chase the enemy out of your life? Come on now. How many ready to chase the enemy out of the church, out of the city, out of the world? Get rid of him. He's caused a lot of havoc. But um, there's a reason for it all. I hope to give you that perspective in this first lesson today. Story of Gideon and the hope we have in God. Judges chapter 8 verse 4. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over it. How many is ready to pass over some things? This too shall pass. We will get past this winter and on to spring. Lord, that was a good amen. And passed over. He and 300 men that were with him. And the last part of that verse just simply says, faint yet pursuing the enemy. So I titled the whole series, I'm tired, but I'm not going to stop moving. And maybe, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, maybe in the middle of your trial, maybe in the middle of your worry or whatever your problem, you're tired. How many say, just not a shame, not a shame. Pastor, I'm weary. Here we go in the wintertime, uh, summertime, 2001 after 2000, uh, 2021 after 2020. Wow. You know, it was a rough year. Summer's still in the middle of it. Texas is in the middle of a crisis. We, uh, uh, the whole nation. Isn't it funny how the crisis now is not just in your local area, but around the whole nation? In fact, the pandemic hit the whole world. I mean, no, that's a sign that the end is coming soon. The whole world is feeling the effects like, like, um, like a volcano that wants to erupt, feeling some of the shaking going on. It's happening. Some of it is just life. Some of it is just a curse, you know, on humanity and the, the disobedience at the Garden of Eden. Some of it is just brought on by your own stubbornness. Somebody shout now. Help me out. Okay. Don't shoot the messenger. Tired, but I'm going to keep on moving. So I wanted to look at the heroes of the faith, especially uh, the one not mentioned a whole lot. And that is uh, Gideon, very much like you and me, a common man who God used to do some uncommon things. And so uh, he trusted the, lo the Lord, and uh, I hope the story comes alive for you. And uh, we learned some lessons from Gideon, put them into practice. It's a real story. has some spiritual significance to it. Obviously, if it's out of the Bible, right? And I hope you can appreciate all that we're going to talk about in Judges. Uh, remember what Daniel said, though. So let me let me just see if, which one I have first. Let's do Judges first, okay? Because this is going to be where I'm taking my my uh, 
text for today's lesson, uh, but I'll read Daniel in a little bit too. So the people uh, served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which had done, uh, which had uh, he had done for them for Israel. So this is the generation that saw the power of God, the work of God, the miracles of God, right? Uh, next verse, and Joshua, the son of Nun, there had to be some, so it's not N-O-N-E, but N-U-N, right? The son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him with the board, uh, within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Heres in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. And when all that generation, listen, serious, this is the, the crux of the matter right here. When all of that generation had been gathered to their fathers, they died. They died. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord. And they did not know the work which God had done for Israel. Very important. If you're taking notes, that's the text right there, Max. That's the one you want to really hone in on right there. The theme is I'm tired, but we must keep moving. Daniel said this in Daniel 11.32, but those who know their God will do great exploits for God. Here's what they'll do. They'll resist the enemy, right? They'll resist the enemy because the enemy don't want you to make it. So I'm going to preach. You don't have to shout me down, but I'm going to preach it. But the enemy don't want you to make it. He doesn't want you to make it. No matter how hard you try, God wants you to make it, and the enemy doesn't. That's the first perspective you need to understand. You have an enemy. And he doesn't want you to make it. He doesn't want you to make it over. He doesn't want another generation to rise up and call Jesus Lord. Right? So you got to resist the enemy. And so we need the wisdom to recognize the enemy, and we need the strength to resist him. So Gideon's a study of contrast. On the one hand, he has a few warriors. Okay, 300 men. He won a great victory for God. On the other hand, he's filled with doubts and fears and questions. Okay? He's hiding in a wine press in chapter 6. Um, threshing wheat. We'll get to that when we get to chapter six. But um, but he's he's um, he's still allowed to be used of God. I mean, oh, God can use anyone who put their trust in Him. All right. So before we get to Gideon's testimony, we got to talk about the consequences of not knowing God. That's our topic today. What are the consequences? of a generation not being raised up. Do you know how important it was what we did today? You know how vital, Brian, and families and dads and grandparents and everybody, how vital it was what you did today? That you raise up a generation to know God, to make Jesus Christ Lord of their life, and to, to make much of it. This, is not, this was not just a show. This was not just a ceremonial thing. This was serious. These parents... Grandparents, family members have said, we believe that we have to give our children to God because there's an enemy that wants to take our children from us. So somebody's going to have your children. Give them to God. How I many know he'll touch them and bless them? Right? And so it's kind of a, a, a catch-22 there, a contrast. And God called him to be a judge during some of the intense times in Israel's history. Midianites had Israel in the grip of oppression. They stripped Israel of everything. Uh, chapter 6, verse 6, man, tells you that they were hiding in caves, right? They were hiding for their lives. They were scared. That's why Gideon, chapter 6, was in the wine press. He was hiding any what little bit of wheat he could thresh out for his family because the enemy is always after your harvest. Your harvest is your children. Come on, the greatest commodity you and I have is our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. The next generation is our greatest commodity at Oak Grove Assembly. In 75 years, this May we'll celebrate 75 years, 75 years from now, will there be an Oak Grove Assembly of God? That's a big question. And if we don't give our children to God, if we don't help them to know God, and not just intellectually, but know God in their heart, really have a relationship with God. If we don't do that, we'll see what's going to happen. So what does it look like? What does a generation look like that doesn't not know God? So the narrative returns back to the fact that Joshua died. Moses died, handed it off to Joshua. Now Joshua's dead. 
Who's he handed it off to? And the leader of the people of Israel has passed away. What's going to happen to the next generation? Joshua 2.7 tells us the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, right? And these godly leaders were living and serving the Lord. The people stayed the course. I mean, we need godly leaders. We need godly moms and dads and parents. We need godly grandparents. We need godly Sunday school teachers and workers in the church. We need godly influences in our life for our children's sake, okay, for our future's sake. But now, Joshua, the servant of the Lord is, you know, servant of the Lord. It's amazing. This is the same title that God gave to Moses, servant of the Lord. I mean, at the end of the day, God's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant of the Lord. Not prophet, not pastor, right? Not theologian, not evangelist, servant. Moses had that title. David had that title. The prophets had that title in Scripture. He dies at 110. Verse 10 says what happened. All the generation also who were gathered to their fathers. They died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. They did not know the Lord. So I got to stop and just contemplate that question. What does that mean? They did not know the Lord. I'll tell you, I did not know the Lord. Now, I want to ask today, how many of you knew the Lord since you could learn to talk? Okay, you cut your teeth on the pew, right? That's, that's a, how many of you got saved after you were older, like a teenager or older than that, you came to the Lord? How many of you not saved? I mean, only three people raised their hand. I have a, let's call for the altar. Come back up, Chrissy. It's time for an altar call. Got a whole lost bunch here. I'm not voting, Pastor. I'm again it. They didn't know who God was. Is that what it is? We know it, does, it doesn't mean that they weren't completely aware of God. We know that, right? They, 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 uh, they did know who God was, but the, the problem was that there's a difference between knowing who the Lord is and knowing the Lord. I knew, I knew who God was. I think I knew the Lord. I went to church and saw, I saw the cross in front, and I, I even was a, a little altar boy. I rang the bells and. I knew church, and I knew God, and I knew God existed. I, I, I didn't read the Bible. So I knew about God, but I didn't know God. Is anybody with me? You know what that's called? That's called religion. Religion is when you know about God, that he may exist, but you don't have a relationship with God. I don't know God. I just knew about God. And say, so, well, you, yeah, but, Pastor, you were in a, uh, a mainline you know, Catholic religion, you didn't know, uh, uh, but we're, we're Pentecostals. We're, we're, I know a lot of people sitting in the Assembly of God churches don't know God. And they had a heritage of people who at one time did. Are y'all getting this? So they didn't know God. They didn't, the saving acts of the Lord were not central or precious to this generation. The acts of God and his truths were, were precious to the previous generation. That, that's where I want to start with. So, so the notice the implication of verse 7. It was the generation who had seen all the works that the Lord had done for Israel. That was the previous generation. The ones that didn't know the Lord were the ones that hadn't seen anything. So I don't want to put any blame on the previous generation, but why didn't, I'm just asking, why didn't the previous generation allow their children to see the glory of God? What happened there? That's why what you did today was so powerful. It was a generation that uh, did not know God. They did not know God for themselves. So, so are we the generation that knows about the Lord but doesn't know the works of God? Is that, is that what's happening? And, and this changes how we teach our children, doesn't it? It changes how we teach our children. It's a big deal. It must be critical concern for parents and grandparents that we're not merely teaching our children to know about God but that they know the Lord himself and share with them the experience that we have. We love God. We serve God. You can tell by our attendance at church. You can tell by our checkbook. You can tell by our activity in the house of the Lord. Not occasionally, every now and then, but you can tell we love the Lord. And if your children don't know it, nobody else will. Nobody knows Ron Moran more than Melissa and those girls. So don't ask them anything about me, please. They'll tell you the truth. We have to, we have to share God and, 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 um, 
the question is, is if they take these facts and take this information about God and find faith in knowing God, it's got to be, it's got to go from the head to the heart. Somehow we have to get the next generation to hear us and understand. And uh, we want them to honor and rejoice in what the Lord has done. We used to sing, look what the Lord has done. Remember that? He healed my body. He touched my mind. Just in time, oh yeah, you don't even know the song. So, so it's precious to us. And so what follows here in chapter 2 is a description of the consequences of not treasuring the Lord. We love the Lord. We treasure the Lord. How many here today love the Lord and treasure the Lord? Come on now. Yes, we love the Lord. Do we have to pass that on? We have to get that from us to them. It's, it's not an easy thing. It's a challenge. So, so what is it? What happens when you don't know the Lord? All right? What happens when we forget God? First thing is we backslide. Verse 11, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Come on, Captain Obvious. I put that up there for all of you to know how simple that statement was. We backslide. We slide back. We don't know the Lord. We knew the Lord. Our family knew the Lord, but we don't know the Lord because we didn't see the Lord and we didn't pass that on or whatever the reason might be. It's a downward process of falling away. We're going away from God. They're serving other idols. They're not serving God. They're serving idols. See that? These are the people of God serving idols. Are you seeing this? All right, so I guess I'll just keep going. You can know about God. Uh, you can even make the Lord your, your, your Lord when you're little. But if he's not central to your life, the Lord's the only governor that keeps us from giving ourselves to wickedness, right? Unless we know the Lord, we'll move into the life of evil. That's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. So number two, forget that. You got that, Captain Obvious. The second thing that happens is our hearts turn to idolatry. Verse 13, notice how the people are still going through the motions. They're just adding idols. They're still making sacrifices. They're still offering. They're still going to the, you know, to God and uh, praising God. And they're doing all the things that, that they're supposed to be doing. But they're adding a little idol here and there. They're chumming up with the Canaanites. They're chumming up with the Canaanites. They're, they're getting close to the world. They're dabbling in the things of the world. I wish somebody helped this preacher preach today. They turn into idolatry. Just If we don't worship God alone, then we're going to worship something else. Okay? It, it visibly does not look like we have completely rejected the Lord here. They're still, God's still being worshipped. They're cried out to the Lord in chapter 6. Right? Gideon, seven, or what, seven years? Oppressed by the Midianites, they cried out to the Lord. So they know about God. They know who to cry out to, but they're worshiping idols. Isn't this something? Hmm. I didn't think it'd be a preachy jump and shout message. <laughs> I have to do it, okay? I got to preach the whole Bible. <laughs> so, so they didn't stop all the offerings and the sacrifices or calling out to God. Rather, they added idols to their lives. They put their desire in something else other than God. They treasured Baal worship more than they treasured worship of the Lord, Yahweh God. Baal worship, the God of fertility. They thought that Baal could get them a harvest greater than God could. They thought they can get whatever the other nations of the world were getting prostituting themselves to Baal worship. It's going to get serious in here. Are all the children out? Come on now. It's going to get ugly in a little bit here. Woo, my goodness, Lord, where's my towel? Starting to sweat. This is the danger of idolatry today. Idolatry is not statues. You can have a billion statues. Not about the statue. Even though God said, I worship no graving images. So we don't, we don't worship statues. But, it, but idolatry, the functional gods that provide our identity and our security. We're not saying that we are atheists. We're not atheists. But we ask God to coexist with other idols in our heart. So I want Jesus and I want the world. I want, I want to serve God and mammon. I want to serve God and do my thing too. That's what's happening. I'm just telling you what's happening. We don't do that in America, especially the sins of God. No way. 
Can I just tell you, God's not going to share our hearts with anyone. He is a jealous God. He absolutely refuses to share our desires. Notice God pictures what idolatry means to him. Look at chapter 2, verse 17. We'll get there in a minute, but look at verse 17, Max, here. Look at this. They, I hate to even say the word, but the Bible does. So. They hoard after other gods and bow down to them. God views our idolatry as sexual immorality against him. He sees it as breaking the covenant, a merciful covenant. He loves us. He loves us. He gave his son to die for us, to break the curse of sin and hell and the grave. And, and yet um, idolatry is happening. And so God, when he spoke of idolatry in Exodus 20 and 5, he said, I am a jealous God. Can I just read it? I'll just read it since you don't believe me. Exodus 20 and verse 5. It's sure quiet in this Presbyterian church. Oh, let me read it then. Um, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. See, you worship idols, then you hate God. You can't love God and worship idols. Okay, well, let me keep going. You're warming up. God's not going to accept a heart that is divided between himself and idols. Why should God have to? Why, why, how, how unfortunate that we would um, commit adultery on God? Let's keep going because I don't, I don't know you're getting it. They would not listen. Look at verse 17. They would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way which their, their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do it. They turned away from the fathers and the teaching of their fathers, and they did not serve the Lord. They just did not do it. The third thing you did, they, they, they abandoned the Lord completely. I mean, no, it's a downward spiral. It just goes down. Is anybody getting any of this? Am I to believe that you're so intrigued by the whole sermon so far that you're just blown away? Your heart's stolen. You've stolen your heart. The enemy has stolen your heart. I think it's Leland has a powerful song. It's stolen my heart. Yes, you have. It's one of my favorite, Chrissy. It's a great song. Talking about God. God has stolen my heart. How I many know I had flirted with the devil? I did live for the devil in the world, right? But when I came to God, how I many know God stole my heart? I love God. Come on. How many God lovers, God fears people are in here? You can't love God and the enemy. Your heart belongs to God or your heart belongs to the enemy. So I broke up with the devil. I started going out with God. Oh, I don't get you. are not getting it. Single people might help me understand this, right? All right. So, so when idols in our heart, our heart becomes captured by those idols and desire for the Lord slowly becomes snuffed out. Nothing happens overnight. Nobody backslides overnight. Nobody backslides overnight. Slowly, the world comes in and the Lord goes out. Let me just tell you, if the word of God is in, the world is out. I said, if the word of God is in, philosophy, humanism, worldly wisdom is out. Worldly, worldly wisdom, philosophy, all that's in, God is out. That's what happened in school. Take God out of school and you get what you get. Welcome to America. She's not what she used to be. And so, I've seen this in the eyes of so many people who started out as Christians. They wanted to serve the Lord. They wanted to know about God. But how many know there's a cost to serving Jesus? They used to have a great zeal, but now they come to worship. Their eyes show that they don't care anymore. Can I tell you the danger of indifference? We don't think of indifference as idolatry. But if you start, I just don't care. I don't care what the preacher says. Nobody can tell me what to do. I don't care what my mom and daddy say. I don't care what they say. I don't care what the Constitution says. I don't care what the Bible says. That's indifference. How many know you're heading for a disaster? If you don't care about the rules on the road and the laws of the land, how many know you're going to be in trouble? And so, idols have captured our hearts. They don't care. 
Jesus told the parable about the soils where there were thorny ground swallowing up the seed and choking out the plant. That's what idolatry does. It chokes out our love. So everybody starts out loving God. Everybody loves God. I haven't met anybody that's a God hater. I really haven't. Even the atheists are kind of confused. They're like, I, I do. I just, I'm just intelligent and dumb. I'm just so intellectually stupid. It's an oxymoron. It's like jumbo shrimp. Intelligently stupid. They think they're so smart, but they gave up God for idols. It reveals, it reveals the gripping power of sin. It really does. It's, it's serious. And um, this, the Apostle Paul described this condition as being under sin, Romans 3 and 9. I don't know if I have that there. Uh, yeah, I do. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Gentiles, uh, or Greeks, that they are all under sin. Did, I, did, did you know all of us have come short of the glory of God? I said, did you know Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even though little babies, that's why we had to give them to God. That's why the earliest possible age, we want them to give their heart to Jesus, not just know about God in Sunday school. We don't want them to just quote scriptures. We want them to get Jesus in their heart because Jesus gets in your heart. How many know it will mess up your face? You'll stop frowning all the time. Start smiling, right? It'll change your life. Transformation happens when Jesus gets into your heart. Sin is out. The world is out. God is in. The kingdom is going forward, right? That's what happens. The fourth thing we see is that idolatry sets us on a path to misery and distress. (laughs) This is the most depressing sermon. But we're going somewhere. Hang with me, people. It's got to get ugly before it gets better. You know, there's a lot of churches and pulpits and preachers who won't tell you the first part. Nobody wants to eat the broccoli today. Don't worry. Chicken's coming soon. God allowed Israel to suffer for the consequences of their sins. Chapter 2, 14 and 15. Let me back up there. That's a powerful verse we're going to read, but chapter 2, 14 and 15. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over. That's a that's powerful. Handed them over to who? Look at it. He handed them over to raiders who plundered them. Chapter 2 is telling us what happens in chapter 6. That's what the Midianites were doing to Gideon. Handed them over to him. Plundered the land. He sold them to their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. And whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Who put them in there? Who put the people of God in distress? God did. Why? That's the question for this morning. Why would our loving, precious God put his loving people in distress? Because they were worshiping idols. That's why. They were living in willful disobedience to God. They were living in sin. That's where Israel was. And so let's look at Romans 1 because you want to bring it to modern day, right? Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forevermore. Amen. God is blessed forevermore. They chose to exchange the truth of a God for of God for a lie. They chose to worship idols, Baal and Ashtoreth. They prostituted themselves, started putting up Ashtoreth poles. Gideon's father. Gideon's father had Baal worship going on. If you talk to Gideon's father, he'd probably tell you, well, listen, we need a harvest. We need a crop. We're dying. The Midianites are taking all of our grain. We, we got to, at least, you know, I got to, I can't, you know, after work, my buddies go out and drink. And if I'm going to keep my job, I got to go drink with my buddies. That's idol worship. That's pressure. 
You better serve God and honor God and go home to your family. Keep your money in your pocket and your brains. It's about to get ugly in here. Don't say I didn't warn you. Steeped in idolatry. We're given over to our desires. It brings devastating consequences. <laughs> it says in chapter 6, it was like locusts swarming in on them, devastating their crop. They were hiding in caves. They were nomadic people, the Midianites. You're going to meet them in a couple of weeks. Nomadic people, they sit around waiting to pounce on your blessings and upon your harvest, upon your children, upon your family, upon your marriage. The devil hates you. Hates everything about you because you love God. Sin does not make life better now, your best life now. How I many of your best life is not now? Your best life is coming. Hang in there. Hold on. Jesus is coming. You know, it's hard in a pandemic and ice all over the place and people losing jobs, getting vaccinated. Tough to keep hope alive. Church people barely coming, filling up the house of God. It's hard to keep morale up. But how many know Jesus is still coming? I said the kingdom of God still advancing. God's people, there will always be a remnant of people who will serve the Lord no matter what. You take this whole world, just give me Jesus. I love the song this morning, Grizzly. I have decided to follow Jesus. There's nothing this world has for me. I want Jesus. But that's where Israel was. The life they were having was only causing problems for more suffering. Idolatry. Let's keep going. How many points do you have, Pastor? <laughs> if you don't perceive it, I thought this was important. If you don't perceive adversity correctly, you'll fall further away from God's purpose, which is to get you to call on him in repentance. You back up and this is something you need to heard. Write this down. Learn this lesson. The Lord handed them over to the enemy. Look at this. God, in his sovereignty, allows adversity. You don't hear that much preached in the pulpits today. Say, I don't know why I have to suffer. Why am I suffering? Well, you know what? Do a little check on your spiritual condition. How many idols do you have hiding out in your heart or in your house? And you think you can get away with something. A little idol ain't bothering you, but it might affect your children. You don't live for you, my friend. You live for the next generation. What you do affects the next generation. If you hit the ball, if you hit the softball, uh, you know, and get a triple, little Johnny's one going to hit it. He wants to hit a home run like daddy did. So if daddy's smoking a little weed, little Johnny's going to be shooting up. Oh, yeah, I don't think y'all are hearing me. It's downward progress. You might be able to handle a beer or two. Little Johnny might turn into an alcoholic. You don't get it? And so it's serious. God raises up judges, but the people don't listen to these judges. Preaching like this is outdated. People, this is so antiquated. Brother Ron, get a clue. You need to be having little TED Talks and small talks, little small groups where we can just tell you, you're so good, you're good. You're no good. I'm no good. I mean, no, there's none righteous. No, not one. Turn to your neighbor and say, you know more better good than I am. Tell them, tell them. You ain't no better than I am. But there's a lot of preachers out there that are you so good, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good. If I tell you you're good, then you'll think I'm good. Everybody's good. How many know everybody's not good? Everybody's not good. But you ask in America, if you're a Christian, yep, yep. Born again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Keep preaching, Pastor. Don't go there. Here's what happened. They rejected the lifestyle of their parents. Their parents walked in the ways of the Lord and saw the works of God. Their grandparents did too and left a legacy. They left a legacy. Moses left it for Joshua. Joshua, you know, but what happened between Joshua and that next generation? I was talking to Taylor about it. He was talking about mentoring. Can I tell you how important mentoring is? Passing the baton of, of leadership and, and, and knowing God. And prayer and Bible, you know, and all of that, going to church. It's important. 
That's how they go. Little Johnny or little Susie can get Jesus in their heart in Sunday school. Children's church in the nursery. So, so they rejected the lifestyle of their parents. This is what happened. Okay. <laughs> they didn't listen to the judges who were trying to bring their hearts back to God. They rejected the judges. Five of them before Gideon. Deborah and Barak. They rejected uh, Jehud. They rejected all those, all those judges. God raised up a judge. They rejected. They were good. They were good for a little while. Last maybe a few years. But when that judge died, read it right there in chapter two. You can go study it further yourself. When the judge died, they went back and did worse than they did. Hmm. The newer generation rejects the way the old generation. They're not going to listen to what they have to say. They're not going to follow the path that they walked in. The ways of the previous generation are considered boring and antiquated. We don't need that. Why should I bring a cow or a goat to the Lord? I need that cow, Max. I need that goat. My family needs to eat. Well, if your family doesn't honor God, you'll be wishing you had something to eat. You'll be in the wine press threshing out a little bit of wheat just to make your living, hiding from the enemy. I mean, no, that's not the peace of God. That's not shalom. That's fear. You see that? And the enemy will put it on you because you trusted in the way of the world. Now you're leaning on the things of the world to exist, and you know you're never going to get ahead like that. The ways of the generation. So we should expect this because their hearts have been stolen away long ago. They will not go the way you are going. That's just the way it is. So I told you that one already, but I'll read it again. If you don't perceive adversity correctly, you'll fall further away from God's purpose, which is to get you to call on him in repentance. So, so Satan, when adversity comes, Satan says, God doesn't love you. And if you don't get an eternal perspective about trials and troubles and even discipline from the Lord to get you on the right track, then you'll think God hates you. If God loved me, why would I be in this mess? And God loves you so much, he allowed you to get in it. So you can open your eyes so you can get saved. That's why. But, uh, but if you're not careful and you don't perceive it correctly, you'll... Whew. The fifth thing is that they rejected the past that their fathers taught them about how to walk with God. They, they just did. Uh, this, that, I already said all that. Number six. Oh, look at this. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges. Um, the D is on the end of raised. Forgive me, I'm not perfect. The Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. So, so he allowed the enemy to plunder them. And he raised up a judge, get them out, victory. And then the judge died. They'd go back in, in the sin and raise up another judge and pull them out. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting dizzy with Israel. How uh, I many know it's a constant cyclical sin, save, sin, save, sin. I'm getting dizzy. Somewhere we have to get a clue. I said somewhere we have to get a clue. I know the Armenians say, you know, you can never, you know, you can, you, you get saved in the morning, you backslide by Sunday night. How many know that's not true? I said that's not true. There is some keeping power. How many know there's keeping power? If you come to God, God will help you. But if you turn to the idols, God can't even help you. All he can do is discipline you to get you to come back. How many glad there's mercy and grace? Of the mercy and grace of God, he will take you back. Look at Homer, uh, I mean, Gomer and, and, and Hosea. You put them together, you get Homer, right? Hosea and Gomer. At least I can make you laugh if nothing else, right? It's not an easy message to preach. But number six is serious. Okay, look at this. They, yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods. I already quoted this. I'll quote it again. And they bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments, but they did not do so. All right, so notice the sixth thing. that They took God's grace for granted, 18 and 19. They refused to change, 18 and 19. Is anybody getting anything out of this so far? Uh, a little bit of preachy in my teachy and a little bit of teachy in my preachy. 18 and 19. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. 
For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned uh, under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Stubborn Israel. Nothing changed. As soon as the judge died, they turned back. This is the nature of sin. Okay? Sin is a downward, is sinking deeper and deeper, committing greater sins. Our hearts grow more corrupt, and God, God's help does not even change them at all. This is the scariest part of the descent into corruption and wickedness. There's a point where the mercy of grace of God no longer moves their heart. God is loving them, and they don't care anymore. They're indifferent. I don't care about church. I don't care about God. I don't care about the Bible. I don't need to pray. I don't need none of this. I got this. I am my own God. How many know that's the greatest idol you'll ever serve is yourself? And so, amazingly, God, uh, there is a point of no return. I got to tell you. I mean, remember Midway, Pearl Harbor, and then we went back to Midway. Remember that? The pilots would fill up their their planes. When they got to Midway, that was halfway between uh, Hawaii and Japan. Once you pass Midway, honey, there ain't no fueling up. That tank of gas going to get you all the way there, and that's it. You can't turn back because there's not enough. Are y'all hearing me? God will not always strive with you. That's serious. You don't hear that preached all the time. We have a cheap grace these days. Cheap grace. Everybody can get cheap grace, 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 grace. Well, if God's not going to judge sin, what are we doing? At least the kids are enjoying this. And so the point of no return. What's amazing to me is God continues to work in an effort to bring people back. 20, verse 20, look at it. Therefore, the Lord was angry, very angry with Israel and said, because the nation has violated the covenant and I laid down for their fathers and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their forefathers did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. What the point is that Joshua didn't do nothing. God did it all. The conquest of Canaan, God did it all. Joshua didn't do nothing. The Israelites did what they do. Shout, blow the trumpets. How tough was that? Oh, I don't think I can. I don't think I can, Pastor. Please don't make me blow the trumpet. Don't make me shout. And now listen, there's a lot of people tell, telling people today, you, you can't make me do anything. I mean, we have to do what the Lord commanded or the walls are not coming down. Shout, and I'll give you the city of Jericho. I'm not shouting. Joshua must be dumb and stupid. He ain't making me shout. Okay. Then, then you'll never take the land. The only way we can have obedience, obedience is the only way that we can have the blessing of the land. You understand? Refuse the words and commands of God. You're not going to get the blessing of God. It's not you. It's God who took the land. He took Jericho and every other. Ite. The Hittites and the Perizzites and the termites and the, you know, Jebusites and the. And so. So I don't feel like boring you anymore. Let's finish. God offers these tests to see if they're willing to walk in his ways. And God will continue to present opportunities that will hopefully waken people's hearts, move them back to him. He uses the nations to cause the people difficulty so they would look to depend on God again. Their suffering was to cause them to turn their eyes to the Lord, but they did not turn their eyes to the Lord, but increasingly became like the world they were in. If you hang with Canaanites, you become Canaanites. And if you marry Canaanites, this, this is serious teaching. Let's just keep going. It's over. It says close. It's not helping me, Sandy. <laughs> that means, Pastor, shut up and go home. There we go. All right. Now keep going, sister. It won't let me up here. 
Um, he, he's so gracious, right? To get them in their right mind, just like the prodigal son. Keep going, sister. The final thing is found in chapter 3, and third, three through 6. We become just like the world around us. That's it. You think you can play around in the world and let, let the world get on you? 1 John 2, 14 to 15. The love of the world is in you. The love of the Father is not. And if the love of the Father is in you, the love of the world is not. You can't have it both ways. God tolerates no rivals. He has no rivals. He has no equals. Right? Look at James 4, 4. You adulterous people, you do not know that friendship with the world is enemy with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It's just serious, hard message to preach, but I'm so happy to bring it to you today. Look at Peter, what he said, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you, <clears throat> excuse me, he warns about falling into this trap, the God's people living among the world's people. I urge you as sojourners, exiles, to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. What's that mean, Pastor? It means you live in the world, but you're not of the world. I live in the world. I have to go to Walmart. I have to go to Walmart. I don't often want to go to Walmart, but I have to. I get to go to Walmart. I get to go to Walmart because guess what? There are people there that may need to know Jesus. And how I handle myself at the checkout my sister, my sister works at Walmart. I saw the other day I had my mask on, my hat on, my coat. <laughs> Wave at me, sis. You know what I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and she, I said, good morning. She said, good morning, my, my friend. And uh, she went back to work on her cashier. And I took my hat off. I took my mask off. I said, sister, it's me. It's me. I, one of our people works at Walmart. Come on, somebody ought to give the Lord praise. But let me tell you. There are people at Walmart that don't know the Lord. I, I don't want to, I don't want to be ugly because the Canaanites will look at me. If I'm ugly, they'll say, well, you're just like us. But if I'm more like Christ, they'll say, what's different about you, sir, than the Canaanite? See that? Some will get their attention and say, hey, something different about him. Something different about him. See a lot of customers every day. That one's different. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And so he said, keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify, on you, you know, the Lord on the day of visitation. When the Lord comes back, you've kept yourself honorable, even amongst the Canaanites. We don't like to call people lost. I know it's tough. But there's only two places you can be, lost or saved. Lost or saved. Or, as Israel, in a backslidden condition. And, um, and so God is a jealous God. Romans 5, let the love of God be shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit so they may see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. So we don't belong to this world. We must have an honorable testimony so God can be glorified. Take up the fight against idolatry. Right? And so serious, it's a serious, serious thing. I want to close, Chrissy, and your team, uh, you can come back. Uh, I want to close with just a, qu a question. <clears throat> so you can see if the world's idols have captured your heart. Am I willing to do whatever God says about a certain area in my life? That's a simple question. If God, the Holy Spirit, puts his finger on a certain area of my life, am I willing to change? Am I willing to take it as conviction? I mean, there's something called Holy Spirit conviction. Holy Spirit correction. The Holy Spirit can correct you better than anybody else can correct you. There's a greater preaching than Ron Moran. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit. You can be laying, forget every message uh, I've ever preached, especially this one. Go home and forget about it. But tonight about three in the morning, like a cricket, you'll hear, repent, repent, repent. Can't get away from the Holy Spirit. He will stay on you. You know why? Because God loves you. I know it was a heavy, heavy message. 
But you got to hear the story. God so loved you that he gave his only son to get you out of that. He raised up Jehu. He raised up uh, Deborah and Barak. He raised up Gideon. He raised how many prophets, how many men and women of God does he have to raise up to get your attention? How much preaching and prophecy do you need to hear before you come out of that? Do you see that? That's what this was all about. So am I willing to accept whatever God says or sends in this area of my life? Plug in whatever issue that may be your idol. Am I willing to do whatever God says about money? Am I willing to accept whatever God sends in my life about money or, or, or about my identity or, or other things? Whatever you're dealing with in your life, ask those questions. And the answers will reveal if you have idols in your heart, stealing your desire away from the Lord. Have you forgotten God's act? Have you forgotten His grace? Have you just taken it for granted? Are you in a rebellious kind of state that you don't have to do what your fathers and your forefathers have done? Listen, the sins of God is 104, 5 years old. I don't know what got us this far, but it couldn't have been that bad. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. But there's lots of people, Martin Luther, others, church history, martyrs that given their lives for the cause of Christ, that spoke this message and, and shot down a cheap grace that says anybody can get it any time and don't worry about it, just keep living in sin. Paul said, shall we abide in sin that grace might abound? God forbid! But that God be glorified, Jesus Christ died so we can have life. Is anybody glad for the gospel message? Come on, give him praise this morning. Jesus, be glorified. And we need to communicate that love by how we live and how we worship. Let's stand together. We got about five, ten minutes left. The rain hasn't come in yet. We do have church tonight. We do have church tonight. We'll talk about the love of God.